going to start with a video, and I kind of wanted to set it up because you really need to pay attention to what's going on. So read the direct directions as they come up, and uh, this is kind of a little test uh, to see if you uh, pay attention, okay? So uh, watch the video, look at the directions, and do what they tell you to do, okay? All right, how many of you got it right? 13. No, you didn't even get that part right? Okay, all right. <laughs> how many of you saw the cheerleader? Ah, oh, yeah, right, okay. How many of you didn't? Just be honest, just be honest. I Amen, all right, thank you. I can relate to you guys. Anyway, um, let me just say this. As you look at something like this, it really does cause you to ponder and think, what do I pay attention to? And so this, this sermon series, we could entitle it something like Missing the Obvious. Many times the way we live life is like this video. We are so focused on something that we miss the obvious. And I'm convinced that many people in our lives, many people who, are, we, are, who we influence, sometimes we miss what we need to be paying attention to. Sometimes we're focused on our career that we forget the role God has given us. We, we focus on achieving our goals that we miss the most important things in life. We focus on making a living and forgetting to live. We focus on what's in front of us and forgetting that eternity awaits us. You see, our, our new sermon series deals with how to live life as it was intended. Now, here's what I want us to think about. It's more, what we're talking about is more than a New Year's resolution. Now, I think some of us, maybe we've made New Year's resolutions. Maybe we did this year. Maybe you're like me and you just quit doing them because you've lived life long enough to know it doesn't really work. And so you, you don't even go that way anymore. But I will tell you this. I think the new year does represent new opportunity. I think it's a perfect time to evaluate our lives, to look deep within and say, you know something? Am I living my life as Christ intended me to live my life? Am I living a life worthy of the fact that he saved me? And I think it would cause us to ponder and look and say, okay, where are we when it comes to this? And so I would dare say it's not a New Year's resolution, it's a New Year's revolution. And so the word revolution, what does it mean? It actually means a far-reaching and drastic change, which could relate to ideas, methods, lifestyles, and perspectives. Now, when you think of the word revolution, it also carries the idea of words that we're familiar with, especially as it relates to Scripture. And those words would be repentance and transformation. When you think of revolution, it is a whole idea of turning. It's the whole idea of a change of direction. But not only that, there is a whole idea of something that's transformed as a result of going with the idea of the revolution. So during this series, we'll be focusing on revolution as it relates to a drastic change in our perspective on life. 
Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to last week. If you happen to have your notes from last week, you can pull those out. Uh, If you weren't able to be here with us last week, we started the series actually last week. And the title we entitled that last week was Leading Intentionally. And so the whole idea of leading intentionally, look at the introduction if you happen to have it in front of you or look here on the screen. Oswald Chambers defines leadership as nothing more than influence. Now, if he is correct, like we said last week, then we are all leaders. If it is true, then, we, then who and where are we leading? These questions must be answered before we can lead intentionally. Now, Jesus' ministry, if you think about it, he was the greatest example of someone who led intentionally. So what does it mean? To lead intentionally, we must love to follow. It's the whole idea that we need to realize that if we're going to lead, we also have to learn how to follow. And we looked at how even Jesus did that with John the Baptist and and that whole idea. But then learn to lead. Learn to lead. Model the way. How do you do that? You model the way. You inspire with a shared vision. You challenge others to grow. You encourage the heart. You enable others to act. And so therefore, that's what we looked at last week. We need to learn to lead, but then we need to launch to a destination. You see, the reason Jesus was so effective in his leadership, the reason he was so intentional, and here's what you need to keep in mind, is that he knew what the end game was. He knew how this was going to go, where it was directed to. And his whole aim in life, listen to this, was to please his heavenly father. That was his whole aim in life. There was nothing greater than that. And so that's something that we can take note of and we can also learn. And so therefore, Jesus launched to a destination. First of all, you have to discern the direction. And then you have to discover the distractions. We all have distractions in our lives. We have those things that get us off track. I think many of us can relate to that. And then we have to defeat the detractors. Those who say, no, that can't be done, or no, I can't even believe you're even thinking that way. But when we know what God desires of us, and, and there's many things we do know that God desires of us, we need to move in that direction. And then lastly, we need to live with purpose. Now, the reason I wanted to do a review is this. Last week's sermon, Leading Intentionally, is the structure for life. If you were to say, give me the structure, what does it look like? If I'm going to lead intentionally, if I'm going to live intentionally, what does it look like? Well, we gave you that last week. Second of all, today's sermon is the motivation or the fuel for this. And so you say, okay, you convinced me. I need to lead intentionally. I need to live intentionally. I need to follow the example of Christ. And you can look at it all through the book of Matthew. You see what he's doing. But then what fuels all that? Well, (laughs) what fuels all that is passion. And today we're going to look at live passionately. So look at the introduction. The greatest example of someone who lived life passionately was Jesus. Again, Jesus lived with the end in focus. Now what what was the end game? Jesus always knew that he would be the savior of the world. He always knew that his path, his journey, his adventure was going to lead him to the cross. He knew that at the end of all that, the Father would pour out his wrath of sin, uh, on our sin that would be put upon him. 
He knew the gravity of his life and what it meant. So he lived with the end in purpose. Now, how does that translate to us? I don't think any of us will be required to hang on a cross. But here's what we need to understand. We also have an end game that we need to keep in focus. One day, listen, we're going to stand before our creator. One day, we're going to stand before that Savior. And, and, and it, basically, the question is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with his end game? What did you do with his purpose in life? The fact he died on the cross for your sin. What's, what's going to happen? Well, there's, we know there's a judgment. Now, look on your outline. From the time Jesus was 12 to right to the night before he was to die, we find his passion to live for his heavenly father. Then there was the apostle Paul. Isn't it interesting? We go to probably two of the greatest men who ever lived. We go from Jesus to the apostle Paul, in which we are given the opportunity through the word of God to see his passion and perspective and to see how it changed in his life. Paul, think about him. He was someone who was seeking to destroy the way of Christ. And then all of a sudden, he became its biggest proponent. So first of all, when it comes to the whole idea of passion, looking at it through the eyes of Paul and what it means, first of all, let's look at the definition of passion. The first definition I want to give you is this, a strong, compelling affection that moves a person towards something or someone. It is that, that, that fuel, that compelling affection, that, that movement towards something. Albert Einstein once said this, what is sad is when something dies inside of a person while they are still living. They lose their passion for life. They lose their purpose for life. And y'all, that's so true. I, I, don't raise your hand, but I want you to think about it. Maybe, maybe it's you you're talking about, but how many of you know someone who, who died long ago, yet they still live? There was something within them that died. There was something that was there that was motivating them. There was a passion that they had, and all of a sudden, it's gone. And now they're just kind of existing in, in, in where they are in life. It's a sad place to be. They lose their passion for life. Carrie Shook writes, often we are tempted to play it safe and settle for far less than what we are made for. It's that whole idea of a lack of passion. You see, it's, it's amazing that we, we possibly, when we look at our lives, we know God's word to be true. Many of us have surrendered to his word. Many of us believe what the word says, that there's going to be an end game, that one day we're going to stand and be judged. It's amazing how we know all that, yet we don't live passionately towards that. That it doesn't motivate us, that it doesn't move us in some kind of way. Secondly, passion is a fire within a person that can cause them to do great things. How many of you have ever been around passionate people? Passionate people, they, I mean... Sometimes they'll grate on your nerves. I'm around passionate people, and they're just all over the place. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, they're just ready to move, you know. And, and let me just say this. These are the people that do change the world. I mean, they're passionate. Now, but let me say this. Can passion be misguided? Oh, yeah. Do you know Hitler had great passion? He really did. Misguided passion. The Apostle Paul. You remember first time we were introduced to him? How are we introduced to him? He's out trying to hunt down Christians and, and, and have them executed and, and have them thrown in prison. 
misguided passion. So we see that passion in and of itself can be moved in one of two directions. It can be moved and used in a place of evil, but can also be used in a place of good. And it's so important that we understand that there's a double-edged sword when it comes to this whole idea of passion. Next, we see the illustration of passion. And the first thing we see is what we've already talked about is misguided passion. Paul seemed to be passionate in everything he pursued. We know that he was passionate about the gospel, but before his conversion, he was all about destroying the name of Christ. And we know that from reading God's word. So in Philippians chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 3. I want you to look at what Paul says about this whole idea of passion and how his passion changed. And we see it in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. Now, when he says the circumcision, it means those who identify as the people of God. That's what that word literally means in this context. So he says, we are the people who identify with the people uh, uh, who identify as the people of God who worship God in the spirit rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh though I also might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh I more so now what he's talking about here is this whole idea in the fact that the flesh can be passionate we know that we've seen that we see it played out a lot and he's basically saying, I could really, when it came to, to, to passion and what the flesh could accomplish, man, I was really good at it. He's not talking about lust and all that. He's talking about his passion to, to destroy the name of Christ. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the, tri of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteous." which is the law, I was blameless. He was basically saying I was doing everything in my power. My passion was to do everything in my power to somehow make myself acceptable to God. But every bit of it was a passion that was motivated by the flesh. You see, his confidence in his flesh produced a passion of destruction toward the early church. But after his repentance, after his transformation... After the revolution that took place in his heart, his perspective, his passion was redirected. And he tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at what it says. For I am now determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, what does he mean by except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Well, when he says to know him, he's talking about except Jesus Christ, to know who he is. It's interesting Paul's first introduction to Christ in a direct way was on the road to Damascus. He was continuous pursuit to kill Christians, to, to have them imprisoned. And he's on his way there, and the resurrected Lord appeared to him. One of the first questions he asked was, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Do you realize he spent the last part of his life or the rest of his life in search of who Jesus really was and wanting to know him? That's what the context is here. He wanted to know who he was. And then him crucified, he wanted to know what he did. He wanted to understand the fullness of the provision of Jesus Christ in his life. How do we know that? Because we have the, the record of what was in his heart and what God placed on his heart when he wrote all these letters to the churches. You see, his whole passion in life changed from destruction to declaring the greatest news ever given to man.
So we see in one person passion that can be misguided and, and carry out destruction or passion that's used for good that can accomplish great things. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. Do you have any misguided passions? Is there something in your life that motivates you out there, that moves you to, and you know that if I stay on this path, it's going to bring destruction. It's going, it, it may be the very thing that, that, that causes me for something to die inside of me if I continue this. I, I don't have to go into a great list of what those things may be. I think deep down you know what those things could be. And you've already been haunted by some of those things. And you already know, you know something, this is just something that this is a passion that I have that I know shouldn't be there. And, and let me just say this. If you know Jesus Christ as your, whole, as, a, as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit of God is working in your life, guess what? He's already put his finger on that thing in your life already before. And he'll continue to do that until something happens. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, he's going to come and he's going to teach us in the ways that we should go. But not only that, he's going to convict us and he will challenge us. And so this morning, this pastor doesn't have to stand up here and say, hey, let me give you the list of those misguided passions. Deep down, you know what they are. You know what they are. And so my question to you is, when are you going to turn? When are you going to get off the path of destruction, the misguided passion and turn? Next, we see from a misdirected passion to a redirected passion. Now, how does one redirect their passions? How does one bring revolution to their life? Now, I don't know about you, but I think it would be pretty easy to have a revolution to take place in my heart if the resurrected Jesus Christ were to show up one day. Wouldn't you say that would be pretty easy to turn things around? Many of us don't have that privilege like that. But let me just say this. Many of us, however, do have something. We do have the Holy Spirit of God working in and through our lives. So, so in some ways, the, the personification of who Jesus is and, and what he represented on that day to Paul, we have the same thing that's within us through the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus basically said it that way. And so, so here's what we need to understand. How does one bring revolution to their life? How do they bring transformation? How do they bring repentance? Well, Paul shows us. And the first thing he says is this, count. Right beside the word count, put calculate. Maybe even evaluate. That's what you have to do. There has to come a point in your life where you evaluate your life. You evaluate your passions. You sit there. You, you, you just go through them. And, and let me say this. I think a new year naturally brings us about. I think that's the reason why in the past, uh, I know some of you have given up on resolutions. Maybe, maybe you're not going about it the right way. Maybe it needs to be a revolution that needs to take place in your life. Something greater than just all of a sudden, I think I'm going to lose a couple pounds. It needs to be something that motivates you to a higher calling that says, is this misguided? Does it, what needs to be redirected? And I think it's healthy for us to calculate. Look at what Paul did. He did it. Philippians 3, look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me? Listen, those misdirected passions, those things that energize me, those things that were out there that I considered if I could just lay hold of those things, if I could have those things, they would bring fulfillment to my life. They would bring me in a greater glory, maybe before God, before men. Look what he says about them. I have counted loss for Christ. He's talking about his misdirected passions. He's talking about the idea of redirecting his passions. 
He's talking about a New Year's revolution, a transformation, repentance even. He's talking about that. And he says those things that I thought were so important, those things that I just felt like I had to have, they're lost. I counted them. I evaluated them. I calculated them. And they ended up in the negative column. What are those things in your life? Look at it the way the Word of God looks at those things. Look at it the way God would look at it. Look at it the way the Holy Spirit's leading you. You got to understand it would be count for loss in the negative column. Verse 8. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know what he's describing there? He went from his misguided passions to his redirected passions. But I want you to see what it did for him. Look what it did. He says in the latter part of verse eight, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, those things that are really over here, I evaluated, I looked at them, I came to the conclusion they're negative, they're not going anywhere, they're really lost. Those things I once held in high esteem that I pursued, that I had a passion for. He's basically saying, no, no, no. I count them as rubbish. The actual translation there is a word that I won't use this morning. But it, it, dog dung, whatever you want, waste, excrement. You say, boy, you're getting gross. No, it's just that's what the word means. That's exactly the word that's used in Greek. And it's interesting, he says, I count them as rubbish. Think about this, y'all. The thing that you're pursuing, the passion that wakes you up in the morning, the thing that possibly drives you to the computer or whatever it may be, you're just that one thing. And let's just say it's misdirected. Let's just say it's really nothing. But you've made it a big deal. You got to evaluate that. You got to look at it. You got to put it in the waste column. That's what Paul did. He said, everything changed from that point in my life. Something happened. Wouldn't it be cool to look back uh, 10 years from now and say, you know something? Something happened to me in my life in 2018. There was something that the pastor reminded me of that was in God's word about Paul and how he had misdirected passions and how those passions needed to be redirected. And I'm just here to tell you, man, I tell you, that got a hold of my heart. In a way that God transformed my life. He changed my life as a result of that. Y'all, that's what God wants for all of us. He goes on in verse 9. He says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. <laughs> Do you, you know what's interesting about Paul's misguided passions? The only thing he wanted more in life was this, at, when it was misguided. He believed that he could live a perfect, righteous life, and it would be acceptable to God. He believed that. Do you know 90% of people surveyed in America believe that same thing? Somehow they can make themselves acceptable to God. Can't do it. That's a misdirected passion. And it will never measure up. You will never measure up your life in and of itself to be acceptable to God. The only way you're acceptable to God is through Christ's righteousness. Not your righteousness. It'll never add up. It'll never be enough. 
And it's very clear in God's word. He said, I was pursuing that. I thought for sure I could get there. And I was basing it on the law. And to be honest with you, in Romans, Paul says this. There was that one law, that I, there was that one thing that kept hanging, up, hanging me up. It's covetousness. I wanted, I wanted things. I wanted what other people have. I wanted the prestige other people have. So he even knew the, 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 the part of the armor that really wasn't working for him. He saw that. He said, you know something? But then I realized there was sin in my life. There was something that was going to disqualify me. There was something in my life that would make me unacceptable. But, verse 9, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Where does the righteousness come to be acceptable before God? It comes from God himself. Through whom? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul, now was it, a, let me ask you this, was his misguided passion, it seemed like a good passion, didn't it? It really did. He convinced himself. This was someone who knew the Bible in ways we would never understand the Bible as a Pharisee himself. And yet he was misguided, misguided. He was totally pursuing the wrong thing. The same thing can happen to us if we're not careful. Look at your life. Evaluate it. Where are your passions? Where are they leading you? How about those that you care about most? Well, if you continue this path, where will it carry them? Will, will it lead to eternal punishment? Will it lead to destruction? Will those around you benefit from your passion or be hurt by your passions? Think about that. Redirected passions. How does one redirect their passions? How does one bring revolution to their life? Paul shows us. He said, number one, count. But number two, conform. Conform. Now, what do you mean by that? To conform literally means to be squeezed into something. You remember what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You don't want the world to, to have that kind of influence in your life. But you know what you do need to allow to happen? You need to let the word of God squeeze you into its mold. You see, there's a good way of being conformed and a bad way of being conformed. And we need to understand that this is the confirmation, this is the, the, how God wants to go forward. He wants us to move towards that. It literally comes about through this whole identif identification. When you conform to something, you identify with it. You experience it. Paul talks about it. Philippians 3, look at verse 10. That I may know him. Remember, this is the only thing that matters to Paul now. This is a new passion. That I may know him. That I may experience him. That, that he, he, the impact of knowing him would have such a great impact on me that it would squeeze me into his mold. That it would allow me to become who he is. That I can identify with him. How, what do you want to identify? Well, I want to identify with the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. And being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. He basically says, my misguided passions were leading me way off from where I need to be. And now this is where I know I need to be. And he's, boy, he's spelling it out perfectly here. I want to identify with him. I want to experience him in such a way that I conform to his image. I become, I want, I want to conform to his image. That's my passion. He discovered this. Redirect passions. You got to count. You got to evaluate your passions. Once you 
once directed properly, you need to conform, move towards, identify with, uh, experience. But then you got to continue. You got to continue. You got to stay with it. Some of you are going to laugh at this, but it's really no different in the way we treat our spiritual lives. Listen to this. Many of us will make New Year's resolutions that will fizzle out. The why, I'm not looking forward to going back tomorrow. I didn't get to go this past week. I was dealing with some sickness. I'm going back tomorrow. The place will be packed. You know why, right? New Year's resolutions. There'll be people all over the place. There'll be people, as I tell you every year, they're going to be on my machine. They're going to be doing what I want. And I've been doing this the whole year. And they're going to wander in and they're going to get in the way. And I'm going to give them dirty looks. You can count on that. But you know what's refreshing about my perspective in this? They'll be gone in three weeks. <laughs> you just got to wait it out. Subway is going to do some tremendous business here at the beginning. But within three weeks, we'll all be back at McDonald's. <laughs> you know how it works. Some of you are laughing because that is me. Now, here's the sad part. Many times we treat our spiritual lives the same way. I can't tell you how many times a new year would come up, and sometimes I'd get away. Sometimes I'd just sit there and evaluate my life and say, you know something, I want, I want my passions to be redirected. I want, my, I, want to, I want to follow suit. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better whatever. I mean, the list could go on. But, you know, it's interesting that, I don't know about you, but, and I'm not saying this arrogantly, most of the time, I know what the right answer is. I know what it takes. But a lot of times, I just don't stay with it. You know what I'm talking about? Most of the time, I know what it takes. But I don't stay with it. We got to stay with it. True passion for something, listen, continues. It has staying power. Passion transforms, but how? How do I get to the point where it's not just a, a resolution. How do I get to a point where it's a revolution, where it's transforming, where, where something is actually happening in me? Well, Paul tells us, first of all, look on your outline. There's maturing. There's maturing. The whole idea of maturing is a whole idea of moving towards something. It's the whole idea of moving towards perfection. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says this. Not that I've already attained or already perfected, Every one of us can say that here this morning. We, we're not perfected, but I press on. I move towards it. That's the goal. That's, that's a path of maturity. What does press on mean? It means to pursue, listen, through the restraints and the difficulties. You, re, you know why resolutions don't work? But because it doesn't have a revolutionary tone to it. Here's why. Because all of a sudden, we know we need to go to the Y tomorrow morning, but it's five degrees outside. What kind of fool would go out in five degree weather? <laughs> there's, a, there's a difficulty that presents itself. There's a restraint. There's something that we put in our mind that says, well, I can't go there. Look at the line at Subway. McDonald's is doing pretty good the first three weeks of the year. I can get in and get out quick. <laughs> I mean, you may laugh at this, but again, that's really how we treat our spiritual life many times. And we go about it. He said, listen, I press on. 
It gets difficult. Let me just tell you this, and I told you this last week. Any territory the enemy has taken from you, he will fight like the place he lives in to keep you there. He will. And so if he's conquered that territory in your life, if he's already got you eating out of his hand over here and you're pursuing the misguided passions, he's going to do everything in his power to keep you from redirecting those things. Paul knew that better than anybody. There were several times in Scripture where he said, I know the enemy was attempting to keep me from doing this. He'll do the same thing in your life. But he says, I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That I can have the same relationship that God desires for me through Jesus. That, that I'll have the same passion, the same desire to have that kind of relationship with him. This is the point where our passion defines us. Our passion can define us. Now, I'm going to do a funny here. I, I meant to ask Gary if I could use this on him this morning. But I failed to... See him. But anyway, uh, pretty convenient for me. But if you were to go to the YMCA tomorrow morning, you, if you got there probably between 7 and 7.40, you would see Gary in there. Okay? And what's interesting about Gary going to the Y is um, we all know where he's going to go when he gets in there. There's one machine, and he gets quite upset when someone's on it. No, I'm just kidding. There's one machine that he goes to, and every one of us, I'm talking about people in the whole, you know what they've named the machine? It's called the Gary. It is. We, we got it identified. It's right there. It's called the Gary. And everybody walks in there, oh, there's the Gary. Gary's on the Gary. Now, tell, let me tell you why that's so important. Let me t get, give you a little example of this. Gary has identified with that machine in such a way that everybody knows he's identified with it. Do you see my point? The same thing. This is the language Paul is using here. <laughs> he didn't go to the why. I'm convinced of it. But anyway, what he's trying to tell us is we, 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 we do it so much. It becomes a part of who we are that we're there. We're, there's a passion there. It's a, it's a redirected passion, but it's there. And it's there so much that people identify us with it and we identify ourselves with it. We're moving towards something. Redirecting passion requires forgetting. Listen, forgetting is not clearing your mind of your past, but not allowing your past or your mind or, or, but not allowing your mind to be controlled by your past. The biggest problem many of you have is you. Have I convinced you of that in enough sermons to, tell you, to show you that? You're, 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 you're the problem. And sometimes for some of you, you're, you're the problem in such a way that your past is your problem. You can't get past it. Look at what Paul says about that. Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now write this down on your outline if, you, if you're a writer. What are the two things that are back there that can hinder what God may want to do in our lives? Number one is our accomplishments. Just write accomplishments. I didn't give you a line or anything. Just write it down. Your accomplishments. Have you ever thought about that? Can, can I just tell you this? <laughs> this is going to hurt. Some of you are sitting here today. 
and you're resting on your past accomplishments more than what God is, you're doing for God right now. You're, well, th that's for the young people. Back in my day, I did it. You need, I, I just need to get out and let these young people do that. Now, we need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need your involvement. We, we, you, you see what I'm talking about? Past accomplishments. Number two, uh, past defeats. Your defeats. I want you to think about it. They can consume you with guilt, fear, shame. For some of you, the reason you quit dying a long time ago or the passion died within you a long time ago is because there was some kind of sin that came into your life you couldn't forgive yourself for. So therefore, you think God could forgive you for. So therefore, you just stayed there. And you're not passionate about anything anymore. Something died in you. I can't tell you how many people I've met that when we start peeling back the onion, that's what we find. The reason most of us never pursue our passions is because we're victimized by our past, whether the accomplishments or the defeats. And the enemy is all about defeating you with the past. He's good at it. And you know it deep down because you've experienced it. Redirecting passions requires reaching. Reaching. Philippians 3, look at 13. Look at the second part. He says, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you like to be stretched? They say one of the most painful ways to be, to, to, to be tortured is to be stretched. How many of you ever seen in, in uh, primeval days when they would uh, put them on these tables and they would crank? You ever, you ever heard? They say that's one of the worst that's the worst way you can, I mean, hanging on a cross would be awful, but they say this is actually the stretching. I mean, uh, you know, I won't get graphic with that, but it can be pretty bad. But how many of you like to be stretched? We don't like to be stretched. We don't like to be stretched physically. We don't like to be stretched emotionally. We don't like to be, we don't like to be stretched. Stretched is, is that whole idea that, 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 Maybe some person in your life causes you to be stretched. You know what I'm talking about? That difficult person? Bless you. You know, I never realized some of those people are your spouse. I understand that. That's, that can be difficult. But, but, but it's that whole idea of being stretched. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say being stretched? Okay. It's that whole idea. He says reaching forward to the point that sometimes I'm being stretched, but I'm still pursuing those things. With Christ, listen to this. His mercies are new each day. His adventures are new each day. But let me just tell you this. You got to keep reaching. You got to keep reaching. You got to wake up every day with a fresh perspective of who he is, what he did, and what he wants to do in and through your life. And it's the whole idea of stretching towards those things. Next, redirecting passions requires progressing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul said, I press toward the goal. Now, the word press, you got to understand this, is to pursue through restraint and difficulties, okay? How many of you ever, I'm using a lot of gym things here today. How many of you ever bench pressed anything? You know what I'm talking about? You lay flat and you push up the weight. There was at least three ladies in there the other day that benched more than I could. I watched them do it, and I'm sitting there like, man, they are true men, I tell you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't bench press a whole lot. I really can't. Um, but when I try and when I do, 
I feel the difficulty. I feel the restraint. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like the same word. Now, we're talking about it in a physical way, but it's really kind of the same word here. He says, I'm pressing towards. He doesn't say it's easy. It doesn't say he goes there and just, hum, hum. now I can do the bar that way for at least three times. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But, but I'm talking about the whole idea of, of, of moving through restraint. I'm talking about moving through difficulty. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not just moving somewhere. It's not just about moving weight. He's talking about I'm moving where? I'm moving toward the will and way of God through Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's telling us. Our whole life. We need to realize there's something at the end of the road of our passion. It can be destruction or it can be what God's designed for us to have a fruitful life. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They're, they're disciplined. Now they do it to attain a perishable crown. But Paul's trying to get us to see that what we're pursuing, what we're pressing towards, what we're reaching towards, what we're progressing through is more than just what this life has to offer. It, it's all about the life to come. Because he's talking about an imperishable crown. There's more to come. Here's what that implies. That everything about where our life is now, our passions, whether they're misdirected or need to be redirected or whatever, that, that all that right there has an eternal value associated to it. It also means that the eternity, listen, is affected by what's going on here. You, you understand? Now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's not a point of, if you're not doing these things, you're going to the bad place. Or, uh, no, if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, eternity in heaven is your, is your home. Okay, that, that's what you're trusting for. It's not your own righteousness, his righteousness. You bought into that. You repented. You have a faith in God. What I'm talking about is the gravity of how life will be lived in eternity. Has a lot of dependency about where we are here. Even in heaven and there's several clues of that all through scripture and Paul's talking about it here listen this verse is talking about a higher pursuit a higher passion for life next I gotta quickly go through this I'm going to turn this next part into a bible study for you okay so here it is the application of passion if you will you see Psalms 139. I'm not going to read that. Many of you are familiar with it, but I want to show you something. How do we live passion? How do we live life passionately as God intended? Number one, you got to discover your passion. Discover your passion. Now, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you got to look at the misdirected passions and you got to start crossing them off. You, you got to go through a series of repentance and pray for transformation. Quit conforming over here and conform over here. Okay, you get that? Okay, but then once you get that passion that's right, that one that God's placed in you, then you pursue it. Then you move towards that, okay? And, and so you got to discover that. Now, let me tell you about the word uh, uh, passion. The word passion comes from the word enthusiasm. Uh, when you break down the word enthusiasm, it literally means in theos. Now, what does that mean? It means God is within us or in God. 
It means it's the whole idea that God is empowering us. In other words, God wired us to do his work and to find a passion that motivates us towards him and his work. Okay? So, here it is. How do you discover your passion? Number one, you realize it by your uniqueness. Your uniqueness. Now, there's nothing wrong with that word. I know some people, if they hear, boy, you're unique. How do you take that? Oh, I must be really different that they can... <laughs> Yeah, how many of you ever met unique people? <laughs> the fact of the matter is we're all unique. There's never been one like us. How many of you are grateful for that? <laughs> I mean, think about that. There's a, your uniqueness includes your gifts, your personality, your experiences, all those things. You can see them clearly in Psalms 139, 13 through 15. It's that whole talk of, God, you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's your uniqueness. Second of all, your current situation. Where's your, where are you right now? Where, what's the, your current situation, and you may want to write this down for clarity, can mean season of life. It can mean um, your situation at work. Uh, it can mean uh, difficult, dealing with difficult people. It can be a lot of things. But it's that whole idea of your current situation. Verse 16 of Psalms 139 says, You saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me when there was not any. How many of you remember the language of Psalms 39 there? It's that whole idea that God fashioned the days for you. What does that mean? When you would be born. Uh, when you're going to pass on. I mean, he, he, he set the terms. How many of you are glad that you're born in this time period and not the 1600s? <laughs> it would really be cold out there, okay, if, if that were the case. I guess that's what I'm saying is we need to realize there's a lot that goes into that, but we need to realize our situation, our season in life. Number three, how do you discover your passion in life? Not only your uniqueness, your current situation, but God's glory. God's glory. This is where most of us miss it, okay? Your life, the end game goal is, here it is. One day, I'm going to stand before my creator, okay? For those who never accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, they're going to have one judgment, for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're going to have a different type of judgment. And that judgment is going to be based on what you did with what he's given you. And it's that whole idea that in order to, to see it the way he sees it, I need to realize that everything in my life needs to bring glory to him. Whether it's me raising my kids, whether it's my career, whatever it may be. That's what it's got to do. It's that whole idea of, remember everybody used to ask, what would Jesus do? Here's really the question. What brings God glory? This decision, this attitude, this reaction, this action, what brings him glory? That's where we need to be thinking. Next, when you put all these together, look at these circles. <clears throat> when you put it all together, the center part there is living with passion. That, listen, when you put all that together in the way that I tried to describe it, what happens here is you'll find joy, you'll find peace, and you'll find contentment and empowerment like you've never felt before. That's where it happens, okay? Now, the application of passion. Discover your passion. Number two, pursue your passion. You got to go after it. You got to realize what he's put before you. And then last of all, share your passion. 
What are you passionate about? What, what drives you? Is it God? Is it his mandate for us to make him known? What drives you? I want to close with this. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to contemplate on these questions as we close. <clears throat> In your life, are you simply coasting or are you arrogantly boasting about what you're doing? Are you surviving or thriving? What do you think about that? Did you know you can have the mentality of thriving in the midst of struggle? Here's another one. Are you lazy or is your schedule crazy? <laughs> Are you living life passionately? If our passions defined us, if our passions define us, listen, how would people define you? What do you think about that? How do they define you? We're not going to have an invitation here this morning, as we call it an invitation, but I just want to ask you, just pray, evaluate, calculate right now. Father, we just...